The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 555, for Sunday, May 31st, 2015. Ah, Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Card talk for Apple geeks is what some people have said about this show. You send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found. We share it all. We try to answer what we can. We get the chat involved at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. And uh, the goal is to learn several new things each and every week when we get together here. Almost going on or going on 10 years. Not, not almost going on 10 years. We're about two weeks away from being 10 years old, I believe. 13 days, if memory serves. The sponsor for this show is Linda. For this episode is Linda at lynda.com slash mgg. That's where you're going to go to get 10 days for free access to all of their fantastic training videos. We'll talk more about that in the show. But if your goal is to learn something and if you're listening to this show, that's chances are that's what your goal is. Linda is a great way to extend that. lynda.com slash mgg here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, cuddling with my 555 timer, <laughs> John F. Braun. You may ask yourself, 555, why is that significant? If any of you have done any sort of electronics work, then you've probably run across one of these. It's a very popular chip, typically with eight pins on it, that provides all sorts of timing uh, signals to all sorts of different circuits. Was it ever yeah. used in an Apple product, John? Do you know, was it in like the Apple ones or the Apple twos? Oh, I'm, I'm almost certain or a huh. derivative. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's pretty cool, man. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Hey, uh, let me play this for everyone. <sighs> What's wrong, guy? Oh, just thinking about how much I miss the Macworld Expo. The fun, the sense of community, the presentations, the people giving out great information about what's going on in the Mac world, the candy apples and roller coasters. Candy apples and... Look, guy, I can't address this weirdness about nausea-inducing rides, but you can get the rest of all of that at the MacStock Conference this summer near Chicago. The MacStock Conference? Yeah. It's being held in Woodstock, Illinois on June 20th, 2015. There will be great presentations by Alison Sheridan of the No Cast podcast, Mike Potter from the For Mac Eyes Only podcast, Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices, Tim Robertson from TechFan, Eric Erickson, Julie Kuhl, and appearances by a lot of other well-known Mac podcasters and journalists. That sounds fantastic. I wish I was giving a presentation there. Uh, I actually believe you are, Guy. I am? I wonder what it'll be on. Hopefully not roller coasters. No promises. We should get the word out about this. Well, I think this is where Mike Potter jumps in and tells us all about it. Hey, everyone. Come to the MacStock Conference and Expo on June 20th in Woodstock, Illinois. It's going to be a day of community and information for Mac and Apple users unlike anything else out there. Easy to get to, inexpensive, and packed full of the people you know and love from the independent Apple press. Just go to MacStockExpo.com for more information. 
If you sign up soon, there's great discounts off the regular admission price. Remember, that's the MacStock Conference and Expo at MacStockExpo.com. So John and I will be at MacStock Expo. I'm actually speaking there. I think this uh, promo was made before I had committed to speak. So uh, so we'll give Guy and Gaz the the benefit of the doubt on on excluding me. Oh no, let's be honest. They excluded me for other reasons. Uh, we will be there, John. Uh, you and I are both going to be in attendance to that, and then the the barbecue that that's happening at Barry Folk's house afterwards. Yeah. My Max, job is to heckle you. Outstanding. Max and all the other uh, speakers. Max stock uh, is early bird pricing, I believe, ends today. But uh, the coupon code MacGeekGab10 off will still get you 10 bucks off no matter when you sign up. So that's a good thing. And then any of you that are planning on going, we just got a few Max stock tickets to give away to you. So. Tell us your favorite Mac Geek Gab moment, and uh, we might have a Mac stock ticket for you. But you got to get it in uh, in the next. Uh, you got to get it in before our two year anniversary, which is uh, June thirteenth, I believe. So, uh, so send us your favorite uh, Mac Geek Gab moment to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Send them to us anyway. Frankly, I'd love to read some of them on our June thirteenth show, even if you're not going to Mac stock. But if you are, mention that you're going to Mac stock. And we'll see. Uh, I don't have. We don't have a ton of free tickets to give away, but we have some. So mention it, and we'll we'll see what we can do here for you. So uh, that's Max Tenure. What's that? I think, ten, I think you meant tenure. You said two year anniversary. I said ten. I think you meant tenure. Did I say two? I think if we listen back, I said ten. I might have said it quickly um, though. Well, at least one person in the chat room said two year question mark. Mm. So I think I heard. I heard you. All right, right. I, I said it quickly. Yeah. Okay. But it's definitely 10 year. It's not our two year anniversary. It's 10. Yeah. Maybe I said two. What do I know? I've had two gigs this weekend. And, that's what uh, you were, you were thinking about your gigs. That's right. That's right. And, and why my throat is, is dry, but that's, that's how it works. So yeah, let us know if you're coming to Mac stock and let us know your favorite Mac geek moment over the last 10 years. It's all encompassing. You don't have to just limit it to two. <laughs> all right. Let's take it to Larry. And Larry, uh, Larry writes to us. He said, uh, Apple Care is failing me, so I thought I would pose this to you. I play a track of music on my phone, but it skips that song, then skips to the next, then the next, then the next. It's like that annoying friend that's in charge of the music while I'm driving, and they don't like any of my music. Purchase songs, imported songs, whatever. It doesn't matter. I turned iTunes Match off and then turned it back on. And this doesn't happen all the time. It is intermittent. It happened a lot a few months ago, and then it stopped. And then, I just, and then it just started back up again. And he sent us a video showing that uh, it would display the name of the song uh, and the artist, and, but it would never even start playing. It would just skip from one to the next. And I have seen this before. Um, I've seen it with iTunes Match when the phone knows about all of your songs because with iTunes match, the phone is going to download the metadata and the lists of all your songs. If you have it set to do that. And then when you go to play, it will download it uh, either streaming it to you or, or download it in the background, depending on um, what you tell it to do. But if the song cannot be accessed for whatever reason, it does this thing where just like Larry saw it displays the, the metadata for it tries to play it 
doesn't have the file, moves on to the next one. My guess is that perhaps even because of iTunes match and maybe even with turning it on and off, the, the database got corrupted and it thinks it has the file so it doesn't try to download it, but it goes to play it from the location that it lives in and it's not there. So uh, there's a there's a couple of things that you can do. The uh, really, though, I, I the first thing I would try is going on your phone to general usage, manage storage uh, and then wait a second while it kind of fills in the list below and then go to music. Click on edit in the upper right hand corner and then erase the all songs section that will remove all of the music from your phone. Uh, chances are your phone believes that it has songs on there that are not actually on there. And by removing all songs from your phone, it will hopefully tell your phone there are no songs. And then and then you can pull them back down from iTunes mattress, sync them from iTunes or do uh, whatever it is that that you want to do. But um, that is should hopefully do it if it doesn't uh then it might require some manual resetting of the phone itself and hopefully it doesn't go that far you ever seen anything like this john you don't play music on your phone do you no not really so that's my story and i'm sticking to it that's your story yeah okay yeah in terms of the itunes match settings uh, if you go into the settings app and go to music, you have uh, the option in the settings screen to have it show all music. And that's where you turn uh, that section, that on or off it. If you have show all music on, it will show all the music that, that iCloud knows about. If you have it off, it will only show you the songs that are on your phone. That would be sort of an interesting exercise to turn that off and then go back in and see what appears in your library and see if it tries to play these things that it doesn't actually have. Uh, I'm not sure that that would, that might help you narrow down where exactly the problem lies. That won't fix it, but it might help it. So it might help you sort it out. So that's my thoughts on that, John. What do you think? Those are good thoughts. Yeah. You know, what do you got? You got one for us? I think I do. Oh no. Gosh, I'm getting all these prompts here. Okay. <laughs> we got a question from all these things are coming up here. So we got something from Kyle and Kyle writes in with a little snapshot. He says, how can I know whether I can safely delete my aperture and iPhoto libraries without losing any photos? Any way I can confirm that everything is moved to photos and we get a nice little screen snapshot, which shows uh, an iPhoto library uh, the size is 7.43 gigs, an aperture library, uh, 123.77. And then the resulting photos library is 147.08. Now you may say, well, okay. The, uh, first two, uh, iPhoto and aperture, the, those numbers seem to add up to almost the total in photos. So yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Uh, it's it's still that's not uh, the best way to that's not and then there's some extra fluff yeah, still there, but I would say a gigs better yeah. right so I would say uh, yeah because it adds up to 130 and then uh, so um what I would do and you can do this in all of the programs fortunately though the data is in a little uh, a slightly different place here so in all of the programs there is a photo category in the sidebar so what you want to do 
this is what I would recommend is go to both iPhoto and Aperture. You know, you can still run them. Um, and I'll probably warn you the, the first time you run them after a migration, it'll say, Hey, you know, any changes you make to this, uh, uh, aren't going to be reflected in photos, which is good, uh, advice. <laughs> um, but if you, so you start iPhoto and you click on photos and it's going to show you the total number. Now, from what I recall, iPhoto, uh, will show it on the top of the screen. It'll give you the total number of photos that you have stored in the library that you opened. Um, aperture, you go to aperture, you click on photos. And of course it puts it in a different spot, typically on the bottom of the screen. And also you, you want to be in a, um, uh, what am I going to call it? Uh, uh, checkerboard view or uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the view here but not a list view typically it doesn't show the total number of photos if you're in a list view you have to be in one of the other views and then you're going to get the total number of photos and of course in photos same thing there's going to be a photos category you click on it and you're going to see somewhere the total number of photos that's how i would make sure um and typically uh you know i had this happen actually with photos if you try to uh, import duplicate photos. Um, photos shouldn't let you. I've, I've tried this once. I think um, I, I pulled some stuff off of my camera and brought it into photos. And it's like, oh, by the way, you know, I've already seen these. You, know, you don't want me to import them again, do you? If, if you want to, sure. <laughs> sure. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Um, so that that's my answer to that. And um, the thing is, once you've done the migration, and I, th I think we had another question that was similar to this, and you know, the, my answer to that would be, once you've done the migration, it's totally safe to delete the old stuff. But you, uh, your, I mean, your advice is sound to to just make sure that at least by count, you've got the the photos from the you know from Aperture or iPhoto into photos before you just start you know willy nilly blowing them away. Yeah, just so to make sure the import the, actually worked. That's what I'm, that's all I mean. Absolutely. So, so I would do that, and then actually, probably the the other thing now that I think about it a little more is you may want to just look at the dates, you know, of the the most recent and the earliest photos, and just make sure that the date range of the photos is uh you know what you expect them to be, and uh, that should prove that everything has uh has come over. Though I can understand the concern. You know, we actually uh, I don't know if you saw this, Dave. Um, uh, I popped actually popped this in our Evernote box here using the wonderful share feature that you have in Yosemite. Yeah, I think I was on a on a uh, web page and I said, "Hey, I wonder if I can share this with Evernote." And sure enough, uh, an article appeared in our Evernote. You may have noticed that. And this article, uh, who was it? Our buddy Jeff Carlson actually linked to it. Oh, and yeah. It was an article, and it yeah. was an article titled "Why You Shouldn't Store Photos for OS X Libraries on Dropbox." <laughs> And I'll leave it at that. You can read the article, but because we've had a number of people report issues if they don't do the migration, either if you're storing uh, currently, if you try to store a photos library um, or do a migration and it's on and it's anywhere except the pictures folder on your computer. Uh, what I'm saying is that if it's on a NAS or in Dropbox, strange things may happen. And this article goes into a little detail about why these strange things happen, at least on Dropbox. Yeah, so. I need to dig into that because we store our iPhoto library on uh, the NAS just because of storage, right? It's, you know, plenty of storage over there, high speed access to it. It's all backed up. It's, you know, it's got all the, the redundancy and the blah, blah, blah. But 
Um, we have yet to migrate Lisa to photos because of that. So it's, it's just one of those things I need to spend. I need to set aside, you know, an hour, whatever hour and a half and, and just focus solely on that and make sure I do it very carefully and cautiously. Yeah. I, I currently, so yeah, I, I always have always kept my, uh, photo library in the you know recommended location, which is the pictures folder, which is in your home folder. Um, I will store backups on my NAS, you know, either a zip file or, or, or something like that. I will store backups of my photo library file um, on a NAS, not Dropbox, but on, on either one of my NASs. Yeah. I do that. So, yeah, we'll give you more. Uh, and, you know, people are also updating their utilities um, because the structure of photos is different. I don't think a lot of the popular utilities, um, uh, there, there's a few of them out there that, you know, detect duplicates, but I don't think anybody, well, wait, no, there's one that you mentioned, Dave. That yeah, the guys, they're, they're making progress on adapting their program to uh, photos. Yeah. Power photos is the new piece of software from fat cat software. They, uh, uh, they, they were the makers and still are of iPhoto library manager, which of course we've talked about and recommended for years. And so power photos is, uh, is the, is the new one that, that is, that does work with photos. It is built separately, to manage the photos libraries and, and as you said, John, it's sort of a work in progress. They're, they keep adding things to it and I think it'll, it'll, it'll evolve quite well. So if, if, if prior work is any indication, I think it's fair to say that it is. So, yes. So what do we got there, John? Let's, um, let's move to Peter. Shall we? Peter, Peter found, Peter found something that I would like to, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've done a stump the geek, John, but, uh, I think Peter might have it. He certainly has a stump the geek for me and perhaps he, you can, uh, you can answer this. So Peter sent in a question. He says, I'm not sure how to explain this. He says, if I use get info in the finder on my 750 gig SSD, it shows 196 gigs available, 196.34 to be specific, according to his screenshot. However, if I highlight the desktop icon or even the sidebar icon for my hard drive or my SSD and tap the space bar, that brings up a different sort of info window. And that one shows 139 gigs available. So 196 versus 139. What do you think? Any thoughts on what's going on here? I trust your views more than Yosemite. <laughs> I we appreciate that, man. Uh, so what do you think, John? Uh, I, I checked this out on my uh, Mac in the office, my, my retina iMac, which has a 512 gig SSD in it. And I did see a discrepancy between the two, no question. But for me, it wasn't, you know, dozens of gigabytes. It was hundreds of megabytes. So it's still different and worth asking the question why. But uh, but not terribly so. And then here on the iMac in the studio, I show forty six point oh eight gigabytes free with uh, the first one. And then, uh, oh, wait, I'm doing this the wrong way. I'm not doing this with my boot drive because for whatever reason, my boot drive is not showing up in my so, okay, so this is interesting. I have two drives in this iMac here in the studio. I have the built-in SSD 
and also the 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 separate one terabyte drive. This was a pre fusion drive Mac. So on my one terabyte drive, I show uh, 46.08 gigs free when I do get info and I show 46.08. But that's not my boot drive. If, however, I go to my boot drive and I do a get info, I see 216.53 gigs free in get info. And I see 216.26 gigabytes free if I hit the spacebar method. So I am seeing a difference, but interestingly, only on the boot drive. What do you see, John? And what do you, and more importantly, what do you think's going on? I think I know what's going on. All so right. One, one of the numbers is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you why I think that is. So I'm looking in multiple places here. So let me tell you what I see, Dave. So, I click on the drive and hit the space bar. You get the uh, you get that report. And on my system, the one that I'm running now, which shows 13.93 free. Okay. But that's different from all the other views. So if I go to about this max storage, I see 13.67. If I go to disk utility, I see 13.66. And if I do get info, I see 13.66. What's going the on? One the one that's different is the one where you highlight it and hit the space bar. Mm-hmm. I suspect what it could be because then I also look, Dave. So if you go to about this Mac and you look at the storage category, you're going to see a bunch of different categories of uh, type of stuff you have stored. Other audio apps, photos, movies. I'm betting that on this, on the system where there's such a wide discrepancy, that's being taken up by backups. Backups, you say? Now, what are backups, you ask? Why are, you, why are you seeing that in the storage view? You know what that is? That is local snapshots that are done. And the thing is, sometimes uh, I'll, I'll find the article that Apple wrote about this, but they said that depending on where you look, and I think this is one of those cases, the space that's taken up by that may not necessarily be reported. And if it's needed back, the system will start uh, pairing it. Well, we'll start... Uh, deleting those little local snapshots huh so i think that explains can is one case where you may see a discrepancy in the free space reported is that sometimes that number is not reported because the system doesn't uh, that's my best guess no i bet you're right and uh it, it makes it makes sense because pj and alan Shitko in the uh in the mac geek up chat room are saying the same thing. And actually PJ sent us some links to both a support article and a discussion group or group discussion in the Apple support communities that talk about this very thing. And it seems like when you hit the space bar, it, uh, it does not reflect that, which is interesting. So, or oh. sorry, when you hit the, when you hit get info, um, it does not, it doesn't. It, it when you hit the space bar, it's actually showing you uh, what it would look like if you didn't have those backups there. And when you do a get info, that reports the raw what's actually available on the drive. So let's see. right. Or is that the sorry? Other way, other way around. Other way around. Get info is showing the free space plus what the backups are taking up. So what could be freed up? And when you just do the space bar thing on the drive, it's not factoring that in. It's showing the raw calculation. Sorry. 
had it had it backwards in my head. Okay. Yeah. Because if I go to the drive and do uh, like a, 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 a on the in the terminal a df dash h, uh, which is disk free, I believe disk free space disk full. I, I used to think of it. I, what it what does what does df stand for? Display free space. Okay. So um, and and then the dash h switch is for human readable format. Uh, I that agrees with the the smaller number because it's showing you raw space usage. So if you want to see raw space usage without using the terminal, highlight the drive and hit the space bar in the finder. That will show it to you. Right. Right. And if you want to enable these or disable these, um, I typically leave them, leave it enabled, Dave, no matter what type of system I'm on. Now, some people say, oh, well, you got an SSD. You shouldn't be doing that because it's going to wear out the SSD. And yeah, I'm sure. Not is. Con- <laughs> I'm not convinced that it's going to wear out an SSD any more than it's going to. I mean, yeah, if, if, if you think if you think it's going to wear your drive out, then you don't want them on. But if you do want them on, uh, well, one, you can tell if they're on, because uh, like I said, if you look in, um, I mean, you should see them visually represented in Time Machine with a different color. I think uh, regular backups, you'll see different colored bars. I think they typically happen on an hourly basis, these little local snapshots. Yeah. Um, you can tell if they're happening because one, if you go to your time machine, you should see different colored bars. Number two, as I mentioned, if you go to about this Mac and then click on the storage category, you're going to you should see a little slice called backups. And then if you want to turn them on or turn them off, you can go into the terminal. And what you want to say is TM util, which uh, I think it's time machine utility. And if you want to turn them on, you say enable local. And if you want to turn them off, you say disable local. Yeah. If you want to do a, a single one, you can say TMUtil snapshot. And there's a whole bunch of other fun uh, options with TMUtil, but those, uh, those are the ones that are relevant to this, uh, this conversation. Cool. Cool. Uh, you know, I, uh, in the chat room here, Jim D was, was mentioning another terminal command. That's great. So we, we have DF dash H very simple one. Uh, from the terminal to see free space on all the drives. And it doesn't matter what folder you run that from. It just shows you system-wide information. So you can just launch the terminal and go uh, if you are so inclined. Uh, you can also use the terminal to see how much space is used by any given file or folder. And the command to do that is du, which I think of as disk usage. I think that's actually what it is. Um, I often use du in order to see how much space is used by multiple folders. It's just a very quick way of doing it. So I, I navigate using CD uh, change directory to whatever folder uh, contains everything that I want to see. And then I use two switches. I use uh, DF, uh, sorry, DU dash S H the H still being for, I want it in human readable format. The S means show me a separate entry separate being the S for each file. So I use D U space dash dash S H space star uh, or asterisk. And that will show me a list of every folder that's there, every file that's there and how much space it's using, which is really, really handy. It's an easy way to get all that in just a simple, simple list. So that's, I've put them in the show notes already that you'll, they'll be there. They're easy to see. So short little terminal commands. We love them. 
right? Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, uh, I want to take a moment here, John, and speak very highly, in fact, of our first sponsor for this show, which is Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. The folks at Linda, they've been doing this a long time and they do a really good job at it. They teach you how to do things in a way that's super fun. You get on your computer. That's fun, right? We all enjoy that. Or your iPad or your iPhone, frankly, you can take these courses in any way. But I don't like to think of them as courses. I think I like to think of them as just, you know, like knowledge osmosis sessions because you get this perfectly tailored content at the speed that is exactly right for you. So they've got over 2000 courses and these are courses that are constantly refreshed and replaced. So, uh, you know, there's never any stale data out there. Anything you find is absolutely relevant. So you go, you find the course that you want to take, you find the knowledge osmosis session that you want to take and you click, you click play. And now you're seeing a video. You see the instructor, you see the things that are important to see for that particular course. If it's an accounting course, you might see some charts and graphs and, and things like that. Uh, if it is a traditional lecture, you might even see some keynote style slides coming up. If it's a programming course or, or something where it's more of a how-to kind of thing, you'll often see, especially if it's a how-to for computer software, you'll see the software in action while the instructor is walking you through the whole process. It's absolutely fantastic. And the best part, one of the best parts, I should say, there's a pause button. So you can pause at any time you like. You can go back. You can rehash through a concept. You can play around. You can hit resume. You can do whatever you want. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I just, I can't speak highly enough about this. It's lynda.com slash MGG is where you're going to go to start your 10 free days of your Linda trial. Yeah, you could just go to Linda and get 10 free days from them, but then they don't know we sent you and they have no idea, uh, you know, why you decided to come to them. So they, they actually really appreciate knowing where you came from too. send us an email feedback at MacGeekab.com. Go take some courses, or if you already have taken some courses, send us an email, tell, tell us what you've taken. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things. I, I've, I've mentioned lots of them. Uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, Mike mentioned that there's both a last pass course as well as a one password course. Uh, Dave listener, Dave has taken a treasure trove of courses. Most of which have focused him on a new career of being a web designer up and running with bash scripting, building Facebook applications with PHP and MySQL, JavaScript and JSON understanding SSH. You want to mess around with the terminal and really get to connecting things. That's a great one. CSS page layouts, foundations of programming. They have a whole foundations of programming series, fundamentals, object oriented design databases. These are all separate courses. So you're not just, and you can take them at your, at your leisure and at your pleasure. Absolutely. Awesome. You got to check it out. L Y N D a.com slash M G G. That's how you tell them we sent you. But then once you've gone, send us a note, feedback at macgeekab.com and let us know what courses you've taken. We'd really appreciate hearing about it. Thanks to Linda L Y N D a.com slash M G G for sponsoring the show. And with that, John, I think it's time to talk about Frank because Frank brings up an interesting dilemma. Frank 
writes, Hey guys, you mentioned on a recent show that there's a way to connect an external hard drive to another Mac on the network and use this as a NAS backup or time machine destination for other Macs on the network. I followed the instructions about setting up the drive and sharing and turned on network sharing on the drive itself. Yet, when I try to add the drive in time machine, I do not see the drive to add. Okay. Uh, so those instructions should do it. But I think the key is to ensure that you're only sharing the drive over AFP, not SMB. Uh, and I've, I've, I've got some instructions that we'll put in the uh, in the show notes. But Time Machine does not like SMB, although SMB is is uh, is fine for other types of file sharing. In fact, it's it's recommended. So I think that's going to be the trick. And, and and these instructions will kind of walk you through it. But uh, but make sure you're sharing that drive over AFP and uh, and that should do it. And Frank actually wrote back and, and said that that helped that helped solve the issue. So we'll put this link in the show notes. But, yeah, it's. Um, it's an interesting little thing that Apple's created here. So, and you know, I just noticed a nice touch here, Dave. What's that? Hats off to Apple here. So I was looking on my computers here, and actually my computers are set up differently as far as file sharing. And I like this little touch here. So, um, so if I look on sharing on my Mac Mini, it says file sharing is on. Other users can connect to your shared folders, blah, 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 at AFP colon slash slash. And the IP address, and then if you click on the options button, as as uh, mentioned, you'll uh, you'll see what protocols you're using. My other machine, for whatever bizarre reason, I have both AFP and SMB enabled, mm-hmm. and the little line that tells tells that explains it says other users can access shared folders of this computer, blah blah blah, and it gives both URLs. It gives AFP colon slash slash and SMB. <laughs> I just think it's a nice UI touch. Huh. But you don't you don't have to go to that um option screen to see what uh what protocols you have enabled. That's, hey, if you want to, that's cool. Yeah, that's really <laughs> cool. Huh. Ah, I like it. And I... also that window also shows how many users are connected using each protocol. Wow, that's nice. Okay. That's a nice touch. Yeah. Huh. That's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, you know, I remember looking into this. There is a way. But you have to like actually hack the kernel to to get it. It, it. In theory, there there are rumors that you can get Time Machine to work over SMB. Though it's a really, in my opinion, a really horribly bad idea. Yeah, it really doesn't want to talk SMB. No, I remember going to one point and actually going to the terminal, and I'm like, no, no, no. See that volume over there? You want to use that for Time Machine? And it's like, no, no, it's SMB, man. Right. Stop it. Yeah, knock it off. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but then I saw an article and someone said, yeah, you can do this hack to one of the you know low level drivers and then it'll work. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, no, don't, don't, don't. No, bad idea. Not good. Not good. All right. Let's, um, well, Michael had uh, an interesting thing to share. And, uh, and then we've, I think we've actually got some more stuff to talk about uh, along these lines. Hey, John and Dave, this is Michael in New York uh, calling about the gentleman in the most recent episode trying to find a way to automatically back up his videos that he takes on his iPhone. Uh, I know maybe many more listeners who are more uh, respected than I am may have offered options, but... Uh, Michael, you are extremely respected. Everybody is, so... I don't... I, I, I dismiss that part of your comment, and I'm eager for the rest. Uh, 
Google Plus, which is now Google Photos, and we don't know exactly the, the app has now been available now for people, certainly on Android. Uh, if you have, I think you can automatically, even on iOS, upload everything you have in your camera roll to Google Plus. So that would be a place to have your photos and videos, more importantly, automatically uploaded either on, on data or on Wi-Fi. So it uh, could be an option for the guy if he's got a Google account. Um, if, if not, then who knows? But that is an option, and I believe even in iOS, uh, it is an option. So we'll see. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. No, this is interesting. It, a, a lot has happened this week, uh, specifically with Google and the the announcements that they made at, at Google I.O. Um, John, have you messed around with the new Google Photos app? Um, I will. The, the funny thing, you know, I, I, I didn't watch the event. I should have, but I saw some people, you know, giving commentary and they're sure. like, oh, look, Google's announcing what Apple announced at WWDC for the last three years. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was funny. Like, well, not really. Not really. Yeah. And and honestly, in a better way, I I um I went and, and got the Google Photos app immediately because because mm-hmm. we've been talking about it here. And this this is interesting. And, and there is this problem to be solved now. It will. It will auto back up all of your photos. Um, however, there's a there's a catch and it's presented to you immediately when you when you bring it up. Uh, if you go and in, you have the option of either backing up a compressed format, they call it high quality, but reduced file size. So they're taking your images and and processing them and compressing them or you can have them upload in full res, which from your phone is still compressed. Uh, it's just not recompressing them. If you do the high quality, but let Google process your images thing, there's an uh, there's no limit to what you can upload. If, however, you want everything uploaded in its original form, then you're limited to whatever storage you have in your Google account, which by default is 15 gigs. And that's shared amongst photos your Gmail, your Google drive. Uh, I believe that's it, but there's probably more because Google has lots of stuff, but that, you know, this is a shared uh, uh, storage bin. If you want everything in, uh, in original size. And of course you can buy more from storage from Google. And I believe they're, uh, I don't have the pricing in front of me, but I I think based on a, a conversation we were having the TMO Slack room the other day, it was about, I think they're cheaper than Dropbox. So, um, so that it's interesting and, and, you know, I'd like to address that if you're going to have Google process your images, uh, you agree to this, this terms of service thing. And, and, and really it seems like it's very onerous and overreaching, but it's not, it, it's, it's just a typical hosting agreement because Google says, uh, you give them the non-exclusive right to publish your images and also make changes to your images. And of course, that has to happen for a them to display your images even to you on their website and b to uh, to to crunch your images and recompress them. So, yes, it also means that Google could do whatever they want in terms of their advertising and all of that. But uh, but it's it's the same as pretty much every license agreement you've agreed to for hosting anything. It's just a standard hosting agreement. So. 
but yeah, they do downsample them. I, I looked at some that they have updated or uploaded and, and converted. I haven't seen, uh, I, you know, I can't really tell. I don't know. Maybe you could. That's my thoughts. It's cool though. You can pick whether you want it to uh, back up using cellular. It'll do videos as well. So to answer kind of that, that standing question and uh, it just, you know, just launch the app and it, you got to give it access to your photo library. And then that's that. Yeah. Hey, another option, but uh, you know, I'm with you is that, you know, and I've seen this happen, uh, especially some of my friends that are professional photographers and people tend to get worked up about the, the agreements and I think they're all the same. None of them claim, though some people interpret it as meaning somehow, I think having a non-exclusive right is reasonable, especially if you're not paying them anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if you pay something, you still need to give. I mean, like our hosting company where we host Mac Observer, I, I have to give that company a, a non-exclusive right to publish our content. Because if I didn't, you couldn't visit the website. Right. 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 And I, th- I don't think any of them have actually sold someone's photos for, for monetary gain. I think that it, now Instagram, interpret these, it, Instagram's yeah. terms of service are, are different. It once I believe and I'm no lawyer, nor have I read their their TOS. But what we've seen is once you've published your pictures on Instagram, other people, not Instagram or Facebook, but other people, other third parties taking your pictures and selling them. And as it turns out, their terms of service, either intentionally or probably not allow that. So that, you know, that, but really, you know, if you if you are a professional photographer and in that you sell your work. If you're going to put it up online, especially on, you know, somewhere like social media, you should watermark your images with your, you know, your name and your copyright. Uh, that may not actually protect you in the case of Instagram. It, that might just mean that they get to share your image with your watermark and your copyright. But at least there it is. Right. Um, and that might not incentivize someone to do it. But Facebook's the same way, actually. If you post a picture to Facebook I can then repost that picture to Facebook without crediting you. Now, I mean, ethically, that's kind of a, you know, a jerk move, jerk but move. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but it is, it is legal among, you know, in, in terms of Facebook, um, I can't post it anywhere else uh, without your permission, but I can repost it to Facebook even if you d- delete it. So all you need to do is post it publicly and publicly includes in private groups. So you need to post it to Facebook in a way that other people can see it. And whoever got to see it can then post it anywhere else they want on Facebook, right. whether or not right. that picture still exists on your account on Facebook, even if you delete your account on Facebook. So, yeah, yeah. Now, two things I'll say. So one Flickr is good because Flickr actually lets you decide what, protections you want to put on your photos now people could ignore them but you can say okay i'm posting these photos with the the you know like i think i post mine as you know you can use them if you want but you know if 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 you're going to sell it then you got to talk to me about it not that i would imagine anybody would want to sell my photos though what um or maybe they would who knows well in Flickr, if i'm not mistaken Flickr lets you they they've adopted the 
Creative Commons licensing series into it. And that's what you're choosing is is from one of these Creative Commons licenses for whatever your photos are. And then and then you use them, which is which is awesome. I think that's the best way to do it. I've I've been really impressed with Flickr. Yeah. Yeah, I think the brouhaha here is that I read about this. Um, There's this one guy and, and I would say, you know, get the lawyers out here. But apparently there's this guy I'm seeing one article here. Re-photographer selling prints of other people's Instagram photos for $90,000. I don't know about you, but to me, that that is a jerk move. I mean, you you can't just take someone else's art and, you know, make some commentary on it and then say that's that's your work. I at least I don't consider that your work. (laughs) I I mean, it right. It but I, I believe that there is something as I understand it, I believe there's something in Instagram's license that basically allows that. Uh, so, you know, back to, um, back to Flickr. Uh, it, I, I have, it was Adam Christensen actually this week that convinced me to dig a little deeper into Flickr. We've been talking about it. it their, their iOS app has a great auto uploader there. Uh, they have a Mac app called the uploader for Mac Flickr uploader for Mac. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. And it does exactly what you think it would do. It uploads all the pictures from your Mac to Flickr and, and you get to pick what it uploads, but you can just point it. You can point it at iPhoto libraries. You can point it at, you know, all those various things, but you can also just point it at a folder and it will go and grab all the pictures from that folder and put them up in Flickr. When it puts them up there, they are all private and not published to the rest of the world until you go in and manually select the ones that you want other people to see and in, in kind of, you know, Flickr has, has really two sides to it. There's the, the photo library and archiving portion. And then there is the public social media side. And obviously it can use the same images for both, but you have to, you have to go and decide that Flickr is it, uh, as far as all of the cloud services, Flickr's getting it right. And you get a terabyte free. Now it used to be with Flickr. If you bought a Flickr, whatever it was called, Flickr premium, I think, you got unlimited storage. And then when they, they did away with that, they grandfathered anyone in, anyone in, um, but they did away with offering that to new users, but they also gave, gave everyone a terabyte for free. My question is, I think the terabyte thing was a marketing move so that they could come out instead of saying unlimited, uh, they'd come out and say, we give you a terabyte, which is just massive. Um, and I, I think they did it to get more attention I wonder if anyone has hit the terabyte and actually been limited. I mean, that's a lot of photos. So I, I you know, I think the, the numbers there are going to be pretty small percentage wise of the people that hit it. But I'd be curious if anybody has and uh, and what happens. My guess is nothing happens. You just get to keep putting more and more photos up there. So, yeah, Flickr is pretty awesome. And uh, and the app works great. I mean, I just ran it. And it was even I ran it and then I had to do a uh, I think I had to do TMO daily observations. And I thought, well, you know, I'm blazing all this data up. I, I probably should pause that. And I went into the, it's got a little menu drop down on the Mac. And, and I went in and I said, pause it. And it says, how long do you want to pause for an hour, two hours, four hours? You know, it gave me one of those things. It was like, oh, killer. I'll do an hour because I knew I was leaving. And uh, I, after I finished the show, presumably, actually, I know it resumed because I got a little note later saying you're good to go. All your stuff's up. It's great. And. It goes through and and finds things. So like if you took pictures of flamingos, even if you never tagged them with flamingos, it'll find pictures of flamingos because it's it's going through your data and, and doing all this cool stuff. 
once we once we turn our lives over to our cloud overlords, I think things actually get better. It's not from a security standpoint, of course, but are we really secure anyway? I think we just got to we just got to go with the convenience. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've seen some people say, well, I'm not going to use the Google thing because they know too much about me already. And I'm like, oh, dude, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think limiting that information is going to, in a general sense, I don't think it's going to make a, a difference. They they already know about you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't sweat it too much. Um, maybe I should. How, yeah. Did, no, I'll have to check it out. You know, what's funny is actually, so I just ran the uh, the photos or, or, you know, I searched for it and ran it, Dave. I actually already have a photo there. Well, because I think the first time I, uh, I I started dabbling with Google Plus, I uploaded a photo. Right, that, that is still still there. <laughs> it was a few, yeah. Whenever they launched G Plus, or you know, it was the they they do some cool thing. things on G Plus. I have it so that um, all my photos back up, which I always have, uh, even just in the Google Plus app. And then you know when I post pictures to Google Plus, and you know it, it it's frustrating because Google Plus doesn't offer an API for uh, individual user accounts to post things. You have to use their app, except that iOS has a share uh, sheet for it. So I can post pictures directly to Google plus, And I do, I don't use any one aggregator to post everywhere because the pictures don't go upright and they're not really natively posted to the service. And in, in most cases I should build like some kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've built some workflow recipes that do it. And, and sort of automate the process. But I share individually using iOS's share sheets or native apps to, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Google plus when I'm posting images. And for example, when I got back from Disney world, it, I logged into Google plus and it said, Hey, uh, you know, here's your, your story. You were in Orlando, Florida or wherever it said I was. And then it builds this whole thing in a timeline. Cause it knows when and where you were, if you let it share that data. And it built this gorgeous little thing that, that was a nice little, you know, remembrance of our trip and, and it was just done for me. And then I could tweak it and say, oh, no, I don't want that picture. That picture's stupid or, you know, move things around and you can caption things. But it kind of builds the book for you. It's sort of like Apple does with their photo books. But this is all just online and, and right where you want it. And then you can cho- either choose to share it or not and how you share it. You can, you know, set all that stuff. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm digging it all. I'm digging it all, John. Groovy. It is groovy. Hey, uh, another tip, I think, from listener bill he says my wife cracked her ipad air 2 screen and i made an appointment with the genius bar to get it fixed the first appointment is the day after tomorrow and the nearest store is over an hour away but we bought apple care plus so we'll live here's what i didn't know number one apple will actually send you a fresh ipad if you have apple care you don't have to send the cracked one back first the only hitch is that it's a two to three business day wait so the trip even though it's an hour, will actually be faster to get the replacement. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. And number two, Apple charges $379 for out-of-warranty screen repair on this particular model, the iPad Air 2. So the cost of Apple Care Plus and the cracked screen repair fee of $49 is a darn good deal. Yes, you can do it cheaper yourself, but the process looks like uh, a, it looks hair-raising to a klutz like me. <laughs> This is good, Bill. It's, uh, you know, kind of real world stuff. I have never put Apple Care on an iPad that I have. I did drop my uh, Retina Mini. So I have I still have the first gen Retina Mini. 
which works fine for me. Although I will actually get into why this is there. There are some things about it that I'm noticing uh, it's speed, but the new one isn't any faster. Uh, I did drop it. I have a spec Durafolio case on it and I don't know how it happened, but it, 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 um, it, I, I mean, I know how I dropped it. I, I was walking across the driveway actually to come and do the show. And, uh, and I dropped it on the driveway. It hit the corner of the case, but it hit the corner up by where the, the headphone jack is. So things are slightly less protected there. Now I have a glass shield on the front of it too. And the glass shield, the front corner of the glass shield cracked. Um, but I just peeled off kind of that, that, that glass shield. And the thing the the screen behind it is fine, but the, um, like the, the metal case around the screen has a massive ding in it. I, I guess as it hit the ground, it must've just popped out and scraped that across the driveway or something. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's got a big ding in it underneath the case. But again, that that's the one corner, even on this Durafolio because of the headphone jack that is, um, that's, you know, doesn't have complete edge to edge protection because there's a gap right there for the headphone jack. Um, so would I, if I had Apple care, would I use it on this? Yeah, probably. But, uh, but I don't. And so it's not a big deal. In fact, I haven't even taken the, I, I kind of took the broken pieces of glass of the shield off of it, but I haven't even, um, taken the whole thing off and I probably won't. There's no, there's no real reason to it's, it's all just functional and it's really just cosmetic. So Apple care for the win. It's a good thing. Do you put Apple Care? What what of your devices do you put Apple Care on, John? You know, I got to get it for uh, my uh, MacBook Pro. Oh right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. My Mac Mini is out of warranty. Uh, yeah, I think, and I didn't put it on my uh, iPhone either. Yeah, I no. didn't. Put, I didn't put it on my iPhone. Um, I did put it on my, uh, my retina iMac. And the best part about it was that it's an iMac. There's no separate Apple care just because it's got the, you know, massively expensive retina screen. So it was the same. I think I paid, I think normally it's 169 bucks maybe for, for Apple care for an iMac, which, which is cheap for that one anyway. And then, uh, you know, I think I got it. From uh, in fact, I know I got it from LA Computer, and typically LA Computer has the lowest prices on Apple Care. And when you buy it from a third party, you just you get a box, and then you use the there's a number in the box, and you go and you register, and it was no no problem at all, you know. And, and now I've got Apple Care on it, so uh, for I th- and I think I got it for 124 bucks or something from LA Computer. So that was that was a steal. That was a total no brainer to put a you know three year warranty on the on the retina iMac, especially after what I went through with uh, my genius bar experience with, with, um, with this one, with the old 2011 iMac last year. So, yeah, I don't think, no, I didn't get it for the mini. I, I tend to not get it for desktop computers and I consider the mini a desktop computer Yeah, or even an iMac. I don't know if I would, if I got an iMac, though, I guess uh, I've, I've heard of enough, cases of uh, power supplies and other things failing on an iMac. Well, that's, I would. that's the thing, right? I mean, I had that bad ethernet port on this that would have failed in the Apple care period. If I had it, I didn't, but you know, I mean, as I said, I got lucky right back in the, in the, uh, it, over the winter. I mean, I, I paid for a power supply and a yep. graphics card or whatever and got a new motherboard. So I was like, woohoo. 
That was good. But every portable that I've gotten, I've gotten Apple Care. To me, there's no question that, uh, especially a portable and the abuse that they, uh, you know, uh, can potentially go through. Yep. I would say it's a it's a no brainer to you know get the warranty extended. Um, yeah, I would I would do it like you said. I would do it on an iMac. Would I do it on a Mac Mini? Probably not, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't. I, honestly, I don't know how much it is. I've never bought a Mac Mini, so I don't know how much Apple Care is on it. But for an iMac, where it's less than 150 bucks when you buy it, you know, from a third party, that's. I mean, that's short money. That's easy. Laptops are more expensive. You know, you're in the two to three hundred range, mm. right? Last time I looked for this machine, and I have, you know, I still have a year from when I got it. From uh, when you bought it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I saw, I saw it. At, I think the retail is three fifty, though I've seen it for two something high twos, depending on where you get it from. MacBook Pro fifteen inch from LA Computer two hundred forty two dollars, John. Oh wow! Apple Care wow. for an iMac from LA Computer one hundred and fifteen bucks, which I think is less than uh, than I than I paid. And a Mac Mini. Oh, let's see. Um, where am I here? Eighty nine bucks from LA Computer. Yep, we love them. It's good stuff, man. They know what they're doing there. So, and they're good people. They have, uh, I, I know the, the, I don't know if he's the owner, a guy named Eunice there. We've worked with for years at Backbeat Media. They, they've done some advertising, um, you know, on some of our web properties and things they've never advertised on this show, but, uh, but they're good folks. They, they really, they know what they're doing and, and they're totally obsessed with deals, which is what we like. All right. I mentioned that I had a little slowdown that I was noticing with my iPad mini retina, iPad mini and, uh, and Rick's question kind of heads us down the same path too. Rick says, I have a G four 17 inch power book early 2003. I use it as a secondary computer. When I sit in front of my Apple TV in the living room, I like the 17 inch for its large screen. So this is a 12 year old computer. That's pretty good, man. Uh, the problem, he says, I have not changed the configuration in years because of its age. Apps have not been updated for a long time. In the past two years, the computer has slowed down even when using a browser, and it's gotten worse as time goes on. Other apps don't seem to have the same problem. Downloading videos, Evernote, transferring files, screen sharing, Word, running Perl and AppleScript scripts, iTunes, Mail, etc. all work fine. I was wondering if you have any thoughts about why the performance has gone from exceptional to almost unusable. Also, the fan will come on when I have a browser up. It stops when I exit the browser. The fan never really comes on at any other time. I've researched this, but I'm not confident about what I'm reading. I'm assuming the problem is the Internet, but it does not occur on other machines. But they are using wired Ethernet and not wireless. So he says he's running 10.5.8, the last OS supported with a one gigahertz uh, CPU with two gigs of RAM. Uh, he's got an Apple Airport Extreme. He's tried different browsers, Firefox, uh, 10.4x, 10.4 Fox, sorry, Safari, WebKit, Opera, iCab. And he's got other computers too, a G4 Tower, uh, an early 2008 Mac Pro, all at their latest supported OSs. So... You know, John, this was an interesting question because normally when people tell us my old Mac is slow, I immediately think, well, you're running newer software on it, right? You know, the, the machine came out and, and was supported with this. And now you've, you've upgraded to software that was built with, you know, um, beefier computers in mind. But that doesn't explain it here, does it? Right. Uh, because you're using all the old software. Or 
maybe it does explain it. You see, while the apps you're running are not new, it could be said that you are running new software on it. Web pages are software. They're code, just like everything else. And their runtime, they, they have to be uh, you know, compiled and, and or at least interpreted live as it's coming in. So, so it's, not, you know, it's, uh, it's not like code that you've compiled for a certain chip. And it's, I'm not just talking about Flash here or other you know, downloadable plug-in pieces. HTML, JavaScript, those are all, that's just software, right? It's code that tells your computer what to do. And that stuff is constantly evolving. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my, my retina mini runs totally fine with everything it does, except on web pages where I can tell that the, you know, the abundance of JavaScript really taxes my CPU. I, I don't have activity monitor or menu meters running on this thing. Although I guess I could connect it up and run instruments and see, but I know what's happening. I know that the CPU is just like totally pegged. If I visit Facebook on the web, on my, uh, on my, uh, on my iPad mini, it's just, it crawls because of all the JavaScript that Facebook's got going on. And of course you could turn off JavaScript on your computer, but that would render today's web pretty much useless. So you don't want to do that. Um, you've, I think you've updated to the latest version of Safari that you can, and WebKit might get you further. Uh, and the reason you'd want to do that is they, I mean, Apple builds WebKit, but it, even though it's open source, it, you know, they've got a group there that's, that's kind of the primary drivers of that. Uh, they are constantly evolving the JavaScript engine that's there and, and making it more and more efficient. So that might help you. Uh, trying different browsers, which you've already done, would be another idea because some of those, like Firefox, aren't dependent on WebKit, so they might interpret things differently. Chrome uses WebKit. So, you know, even though it's got Flash baked in and it does some stuff, you, you're probably not going to see a huge performance difference there but it's certainly worth trying as you've done um and i don't really have a better answer for you other than you know if you're really seeing the cpu max out um or not not max out but but get heated up which is probably what's happening and that's why the fans are coming on check activity monitor and just make sure it is a browser process that's doing it if you happen to see that it's some background you know plug-in process which safari will identify now as a separate listing in activity monitor that might be worth digging into and and you know seeing maybe you've got some old plugin buried in there that you don't need and it's being called at the wrong time and you can remove that and and perhaps perhaps i don't know the uh i don't know the full answer here in fact i'm not sure there is one visit older websites no that's not going to work i don't know what do you think john the web is software I got, too i got the answer sweet well number one you're right in that um and to me, I think the largest offender is when you're rendering video within a browser. And you'll see this in recent versions of um, uh, Activity Monitor, is that it'll show the Safari process. And then below it, it'll show, uh, you know, subcomponents of things that are chewing your uh, processor. Um, one thing you could, if it's only the browser that seems to be slow. So one, as you point out, Dave, I mean, it's, it's interpreting JavaScript or whatever other scripting languages you, you happen to run into. It may be doing a Java plugin type of deal. Um, but one thing in Safari that you can do. So there's two places you could go to try to solve your browser woes. One, and I think every browser supports this to some level. I'm looking at Safari right now is that if you go to Safari, there should be something in the Safari menu similar to clear history and website data. There could be cruft 
and that clears out the cruft because the more you use the browser, the more uh, information like your history um, is stored um, and other things are, are cached. So that's one thing you could try. And, you know, like cookies and, and databases and, and all this, you know, all this stuff behind the scenes that's being put on your computer that you don't know or see. Well, unless you know where to look. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. Another one, Dave. Uh, let me see. So preferences. Is it privacy now? There is preferences, privacy, uh, remove all website data. I don't know if you want to go that far. Um, you could. Or if you go to the detail view, you could, um, if, if you've isolated it to certain sites, you may want to clear out the data that's specific to that one site. And you can do that um, in Safari. Another, Dave, would be um, Onyx has an internet category or, or uh, cleaning. And then I think internet. And there's a whole bunch of caches uh, that you can clear out. Those, even though caches should make things uh, run quicker, uh, maybe they're not. Maybe they're screwed up or corrupted. So uh, those will be my suggestions for, for browser-specific woes. Yeah. A couple of people in the in the chat room here have suggested, you know, kind of the, the, the current fix for slow Mac, which, which stands to reason and is a good one. And that is add an SSD to it. Replace the hard drive with an SSD. Right. And that will make things uh, launch faster. It'll make it boot faster. All of that. Uh, I'm. It's not going to make the CPU any faster, which is sort of why I, I didn't mention it, because, you know, for me, SSD is the first thing I think of. But uh, as someone pointed out, if it's RAM limited and the browser is swapping or causing the system to swap back and forth to disk, Swapping to an SSD to and from an SSD is much faster than swapping to and from a rotational disk. So that is an option. However, you've got to be really careful here because uh, most SSDs are SATA uh, SSDs and have the SATA interface and will not work on a 12 year old computer. You have to find an SSD with an IDE interface. I'm I'm 99. I'm 100 percent certain. Actually, now that I've found this article, there's a there's a great uh, piece at. Uh, other world computing where they talk about their mercury legacy pro SSDs. And they actually have a little bake off between, you know, one with a hard drive and one with an SSD and you can watch the video, but, um, but that is, uh, and then they've got, you know, uh, three different SSDs, I think, or maybe more now, but, uh, but that's what you want to check out is those, you know, it's some kind of IDE ATA, a parallel ATA, not serial ATA interface for an SSD. And, and there just aren't that many of them. So be be careful if you choose to head down this path. Just buy something that'll work. So good stuff, though. It's always fun, you know. What? Actually, no. I got to say, hats off, man. I thought I held on to hardware for a long time. Yeah, I know. Boy, oh boy, it's yeah, good stuff. Two thousand three. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Two gigs. You know, when I saw that though, the specs there, I think yeah. The. I mean, that's that's not. Not a lot of RAM. So I think you're right about the swapping. I think they, that, that yeah. that's... Well, I don't get credit. I don't get credit for that. That was uh, Will Run for Fun and Brian Monroe in the chat room. We're, we're, we're going back and forth on that. So thanks to thanks to the folks at com slash stream for the real-time feedback. Much, much appreciated. You want to wrap us up with James, John? I think that's probably a quick... I don't one. want to wrap up. Why do I want to wrap up? Oh, ah, wrap it up with James. Yes, I think we can do that, Dave. Go ahead. So, 
James asks, uh, hi guys, thanks for the show. You're welcome. <laughs> My wife has a small shop that mainly, uh, hold on, sorry, this is kind of tiny here. Why is it so tiny? I gotta make it big. You want me to read it? There we go. All right. No, no, I got it here. All right. My wife has a small shop that mainly works only summers. We live on a small Greek island called Kos. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, she's friendly with a cafe opposite, and they let us use their Wi-Fi, but have to be outside the shop to get a good signal. Could I use an airport express to boost the signal inside the shop without connecting to their router, like a wireless bridge using the airport app to set it up? The answer is yes. Kind of. There we go. (laughs) Now, well, the answer is yes, you can do that um, using an airport. Um, And specifically, Apple has this dandy article titled Airport Base Station, Setting Up and Configuring an Extended Wireless Network. Uh, though it's specific to 802.11n. If you're doing it with an older protocol, it's something different. Though I, I'm, I'm going to bet that, or hope, that they support 802.11n. And basically, if... Um, and it should work with any other base station, Dave. I don't think it's specific. Uh, the, they basically say, in the instructions here, put it near any 802.11n Wi-Fi base station and go through these steps. And at some point you're going to get a choice to log in to the other wireless base station and then say extend. And that, that'll do it for you. Well, if it, it, it'll do it if it gets a signal. I mean, the problem is he's saying that he can't get a signal unless he's outside. So putting an airport base station inside where he can't currently get a signal with his laptop might mean that the airport base station also doesn't get a signal and therefore doesn't extend the network. Right. right? So I, you know, there's, uh, I, I think it's going to come down to antennas uh, because, you know, obviously running an ethernet cable, you know, across the street or under the street is probably just totally out of the question. Right. You know, and, and let's be honest, the people across the street are being friendly about this, but if suddenly we, mm-hmm. you know, suggest burdening them with, well, let's put in a different thing and we're going to put an antenna on your roof to blast it, you know, pretty sure they're going to say, hmm, yeah, why don't you just go and get your own internet access? So we have to, we have to, we have to, you know, be careful that we don't, over uh overreach here and and then get you know cut off uh, from the access entirely so i think you're going to need to put an antenna uh, on your end that is directional and you know that i mean this doesn't exist anymore but you know like that old wi-fi antenna was was very directional and you could aim it and that worked but you can get these in fact airport uh, i don't know about the current ones do, does your current airport base station have an antenna jack on it anymore or did they did apple do away with that john i think they probably did away with it because there's probably not there's three antennas in there now visible yeah so you'd need to yeah, go back to pop it open. and we'll put we'll put a link I, I think it was one or two shows ago uh we talked about the antennas and and specifically the routers that uh like my uncle was using up in Maine. Now he's using two of them and aiming it at each other, but there's nothing that would stop you from aiming one router, you know, at the other and, and focusing the beam. And you, you probably will get a better signal. You know, you'll get more connection. And then from there, of course, once you've got the connection with a router in your, in your building, then you're good to go. You know, you can extend it any way you want. So I think that's what you're going to have to do. I think you're going to need to, to get a, a, it comes down to the antenna and you want, you know, most routers come with, uh, including the Apple ones, what's basically called an, you know, omnidirectional antenna or antenna series. 
uh, where it's it's built to just go in every direction. But as we've learned with 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi and, and with most radio signals, if you focus the uh, antenna in any one direction, it gets more powerful in that direction, of course, at the expense of uh, all the others. So if you get something where you can really focus it down, I bet you'll be able to pick up that signal from indoors. If you can get it outdoors with an Omni, you can get it indoors uh, unless you're behind like a stone wall or something. But I bet you can get it indoors with a with a directional antenna. You just need to get a router that supports a directional antenna and then get that directional antenna and you're good to go. And probably two routers or use your airport extreme. Use one router to just get the signal from the other and then connect that to your airport extreme and have that broadcast the signal inside your shop and you're probably good to go. That's what I do. But I'm one a other geek. Thing, yeah, go. Well, one other thing you may want to try, Dave, and I've tried this and I verified, at least in, in my environment, that it does perform better than the built-in antennas and that's the bear extender. If, yeah, if you just want to do it on your Mac, that's right. Yeah. Correct. Yep, that's right. Right. So that's the right. bear extender, so, so the unit that I tried out, um, it's meant to give you AC, though, of course, it will support other bands. The nice thing about it, so it's it, uh, on one end, it's a USB 3 connection. Um, if you're connecting it AC, then it'll, you know, use the USB or needs the, the right. USB speed. So it's not a bottleneck. But this device also has two antennas on it. Uh, diversity arrangement, I guess they call it. So more antennas is better. Um, so uh, I think more just antennas based- is better for speed, not for coverage. <laughs> well, it is better for coverage, but not um, yeah. in this in this scenario. I wouldn't be going. I would be going with something directional. And I don't think the bear extender stuff is directional. I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's built to be. Yeah. All I know is that when I used it, I could see more base stations than if I was using the, uh, the built in, the antennas built in in, into my, uh, computer. Yeah. There you go. Um, now you're over across the pond there, but it seems like, but I think you can get, I'm looking at the offer right now. So it's about 80 bucks us 45 day return policy. Uh, one-year warranty, and they show that you can buy it in the UK, the EU, and Netherlands. So, uh, heck, it may be worth trying out. I mean, they got a nice return policy. Brian Monroe in the chat room just linked us to a uh, Ubiquity Unify long-range access point. And hmm. he, and this might do it. Again, you know, we, 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 we're... Our, our, Parameters are such that we can't mess with what the cafe across the street's doing. So this one, this one might do it. It's, you know, it's again, it's, it's got a higher powered uh, thing. And, and for, for what we're talking about, you need data to go in both directions, right? This isn't just receiving the signal. It's, it's a connecting to that other base station. So having something high powered on your end. So we'll put a, we'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the old show notes there, because that, that might actually just take care of it and, and make it work. And that's what we want. All righty. Well, I think that that is going to bring us to the the very end here. Fun show today. Good stuff. I like it. Feedback at MacGeekCab.com is the address that you can send all of your questions, comments, tips, and your favorite MacGeekCab stories over the last 10, yes, 10 years, even if I said two before. feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, it's two times five. You, you just left that part out. I was talking in a different base. That's right. 
base. <laughs> I don't know what base two equals ten, but um, yeah, all right. Yeah, it's got to be one base five. A, I mean A, I would have I would have accepted that, that that's right. base base five, right? right? Wouldn't wouldn't base five? Wouldn't two in base five be ten? I don't know, John. Anyway, premium at MacGeekab.com is the email address that you can use if you are a premium supporter. And if you aren't and would like to find out more about that, uh, MacGeekab.com has all of those details for you. And we would certainly appreciate it if, uh, if you are interested and able. Any one of you, however, can use the phone number 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. That is 4335. iTunes comments. We uh, we didn't get any iTunes comments this week, which means we didn't ask. So please, take a moment. Go to iTunes. Leave us a review and a comment. doesn't need to be long-winded. It can be if you want. won't take you very long. Just go into iTunes. Leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps quite a bit. I'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the iOS show and getappler.com. He converts this show to AAC, adding in all the great chapters, links, and images. Thank you so much for all of your hard work each week, Michael. We appreciate it. And again, I'd, I'd uh, reach out to all of you and, and let us know what you think of the chapters. And, and if you uh, if you still use them, I know Apple, is, uh, Apple still supports them, but they don't make it easy to create them. So... And if anybody has noticed the tiny chapters, which aren't much, that I've been putting manually in the MP3 episodes, let me know that, too, because that's yet another little thing. But thank you very much, Michael, for all your hard work. Also, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com Cashfly provides all the bandwidth for us to get the show from us to you. So thanks very much to them. The podcast marketplace includes, of course, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G for 10 free days. Gazelle.com to sell off and buy used stuff. iMazing.com. Coupon code MGG gets you 20% off there. Smile, of course. Smilesoftware.com slash geek highlights the latest deal that they have for you. And Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG gets you 10% off there. All these great things for you. It's been a blast over the last 10 years, and we're going to just keep on trucking here. Uh, we're not quite at 10 years yet, but I bet it was uh, 10 years ago today that we started talking about the show, John. We, we messed with it for a couple of weeks before before you folks heard anything. So, any uh, Anything to, to share with them before we, before we head off? Next week's show, I think we're going to record uh, on the evening slot on Sunday, but I'm traveling. I'm flying to San Francisco, so I'll be recording from uh, the apartment where I'm staying in, in San Francisco. Uh, hopefully that all works out. But, uh, huh, but that's what's going the on there? WWDC. I'm, I'm going out oh. to meet with a bunch of people next week. So oh, or the following week, I guess. Yeah. Should be fun. Any, uh, anything to share with, uh, with folks before we, before we chat or with me before I travel, since, since th- this will be the, uh, since the next show I'll be doing from a different time zone, John. Um, well, I don't know if it's a big problem anymore. You, you seem to, uh, you seem to get through the TSA, uh, pretty I, I paid for these yeah. days. Ah, so you've paid to not get caught. Made up.